Well, if you've been with us, you know we've been in a short series on the book of Jonah. 48 verses, 4 chapters, 2 pages in your Bible. So I want to go ahead and invite you to turn in your Bible to Jonah. It's a little bit of a tricky book to find in your Old Testament because it's so brief. So feel free to use your table of contents, look it up however you want to. It's one of 12 what we call minor prophets. And during the ministry of Jesus, he references four of the prophets. But the prophet that he references the most closely is Jonah. He also speaks of Zechariah, Daniel, Isaiah. But Jonah is the one that he uses as a foreshadowing of his death, burial, resurrection, and triumphal preaching of the kingdom of God being at hand. So it's a, it's a beautiful book to study. Um, so we'll be reading Jonah chapter 4 today. We've spent a week in each chapter. If you're just joining us this week, we're finishing up this book. We'll make sure that you know where we are. We'll do a little review. But let's read chapter 4. It's 11 verses long. If you have your Bibles, again, stand there and look at them with me. If you don't have a Bible, um, the words will be on the screen. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. So um, if you don't have that, you can see it on the screen as well. But let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be reading Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better that I die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and set to the east of the city. And he made a booth for himself there. And he sat under the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. And he made it come over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor 
nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perish in a night? And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word does declare that all men are like grass and all our glories like the flowers of the field. The, the grass withers and the flowers fade. But your word, O oh Lord, your word stands forever. And may this be the word that is preached today. Lord, unless you speak, nothing of any true significance is spoken here today. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, the first word of our passage today is the word, but... But it displeased Jonah. That but pulls us back to the previous three chapters. And here's what we've seen. In chapter 1, God calls Jonah and says, Go preach to the city of Nineveh. Now the Ninevites, they were the most powerful people in that area of the world. They had a ruthless military. When they would conquer people, they would rape, pillage, kill, destroy. They would tax people into poverty. They had a pyramid of human skulls when you came into their city. They were a scary, intimidating people. And Jonah thought, I don't want to go to them. I don't want to go there. They might kill me. And not only that, I don't want those cruel, evil people receiving God's goodness and His favor. He hated them that much. So Jonah ran as far as he could to the furthest known destination, the complete opposite way. He got on a boat going to Tarshish. And then it's at the Lord. And in this book, one of the things you'll see throughout it, everything obeys God in this book. The storm. God hurls a storm and the storm obeys the sailors panic. The storm is so bad. Yet even these pagan, non-godly sailors will obey God. The one person who doesn't obey God in this book is the prophet. The very person that you would expect to obey God doesn't. So Jonah gets thrown into the ocean to a certain death. And we saw it today. He would rather die than obey Jonah didn't say, hey, hey, take me back to Joppa and I'll obey God. Instead, he goes, throw me in the sea and let me die. And that's what the sailors reluctantly, they didn't want to, they throw Jonah into the sea that Jonah might die. Now we get to the most famous part of the story. Jonah is swallowed by a fish. It's one of the most famous parts of the story. In fact, most people know this part very well. It's a story we tell our children. I've always found it interesting where I come from. The most popular Bible stories to tell your children, to decorate your children's rooms with, is Noah and Jonah. It's these stories of God's pe God, people being so rebellious that God sends judgment. And yet we decorate our kids' rooms with it. 
thinking it's cute and sweet. Well, really, it's rich theology to teach our children that, hey, our sin deserves death by a flood. Our sin deserves death for running from God, yet God in His rich mercy saves us. He saves Jonah through a fish. And a fish swallows up Jonah. In chapter 2, Jonah prays and repents to God. The fish vomits him up in an act of mercy. And Jonah reluctantly, because there's no other option at this point for him, he obeys God. And in chapter 3, chapter 3 is the greatest miracle in the book. We saw it two weeks ago. In chapter 3, Jonah preaches and an entire city repents. That's where we pick up. I've titled uh, today's sermon, A Miserable Missionary. We've called the series An Unwilling Missionary. Well, when, we, when we use the word missionary, typically in Scripture it's used for this. Here's the idea. Someone who crosses a national, a geographic, a cultural or a linguistic line, speaking a different language, for the sake of kingdom ministry, for the sake of the gospel. Many of you here have done that. Many of you, God has even brought you here to Ethiopia as a business person. But your mindset is, hey, while I'm here, I'm going to do ministry because God calls us to ministry. You know, even to our Ethiopian brothers and sisters, which I realize many of them are not with us today, but our Ethiopian brothers and sisters that call this church home, that in many ways are the stability and the strength of IEC. They all have a heart of a missionary. I don't think any of them would be here if they didn't because this is a church with many nations. So you gather here because you love the nations and you want to see God's glory go to all the nations. But Jonah, when he's called to be a cross-cultural missionary, he runs. And then last week, when he finally obeys reluctantly, he sees the greatest miracle in the book of Jonah, one of the greatest miracles in all the Old Testament, the cruel Ninevites repent. Now think about that. I assume most of us have a heart to see people come to know Jesus, trust Him. Think if you were called somewhere and you went there and the entire people, they all repented of their sin and trusted in God. Wouldn't you be thrilled? Wouldn't you be excited? Wouldn't you go tell everybody? Listen to what God did. It would be the greatest miracle probably of your life. In Jonah, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. That word exceedingly is used three times in this book. Once when the sailors were exceedingly scared of the storm. And here Jonah is exceedingly displeased. He's angry. He is angry that God has saved the Ninevites. He didn't want this to happen. He had so much hatred in his heart for his enemy that he didn't want to see anything good happen to him. Now, what's easy for you and I to do 
It's easy for us to look and go, I wouldn't be like Jonah. I would be celebrating. You see, God calls us not only to love our neighbor. God says, love your enemy. Think about that. Is there someone, some people, somebody that's hurt you? Maybe somebody has hurt you individually. So in such a way that you look and you say, I don't want God's grace upon them. They deserve the judgment of God because they are so wicked. They are so bad. They've hurt me so much that they deserve God's wrath. I think if we're honest with ourselves, all of us in some way, I felt hurt and pain in this life so badly from someone or some people or some group or some experience that we look and we say, I'm fine if God's grace doesn't extend to them. Now, we don't like to admit that. That's a very dark, scary thing to admit about our hearts. But remember, we're sinful people. We still struggle with sin. And sometimes that sin, we lie to ourselves and pretend like it's not there. And Jonah here, he's being honest. Hey, I don't want them saved. I am angry that they're saved. I'm reminded today that we come in here with all sorts of backgrounds and experiences. Some of you come in here rejoicing. You know, today is a day of rejoicing for people in Ethiopia. It's New Year's. We celebrate for people in Korea. Thanksgiving, a day of celebration. You know what today is where I come from? It's a great day of mourning. Today, September 11th, is a day that I know exactly where I was, what I was doing. I remember the events of September 11th, like few other days in my life. Because see, where I'm from, it's a day when two planes were tr flown into the World Trade Center that changed the nation I'm from forever. So today, people where I'm from mourn and grieve and are sad. To my... my British brothers and sisters and people that have been influenced by Britain. There's people who are mourning today. Mourning a monarch who was the longest reigning monarch in England's history. I say all this to say we can all show up as a diverse group of people worshiping the same God and come in here with different emotions, different feelings, different thoughts. Some are sad. Some are happy. Some of you are hurting. Some of you are in a desperate situation. Some of you are rejoicing and yet we all come to worship the same God. And we look at Jonah's response and we think, I would be rejoicing if I were Jonah. What we miss is how deeply the Ninevites had hurt the Israelites. And Jonah had a deep pain, a national pain, a personal pain toward this cruel nation called the Ninevites, and he said, I don't want to see them have anything good. 
Look at what he says in, in verse 2. It says, he prayed. He prays twice in the book. Once, personal desperation, belly of a fish. Secondly, he prays because he doesn't understand and he's angry. Now, can we be angry with God? Can we be angry with God at times? I believe absolutely. The Christian can be angry with God. I don't think it's recommended or the posture that we're expected or supposed to take. But it's a posture because we are weak and we're fallen and we're sinful that sometimes we can even take a posture of anger toward God. And praise the Lord, He's gracious. Here's what Jonah says, verse 2. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Listen to what he says. For I knew. There are some people who, who read Jonah and they say, Jonah doesn't really know God. No, I believe Jonah knows God very well. I believe he knew God so well and knew God's grace so well, he didn't want it going to the Ninevites. He said, I knew that you are gracious Gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting of disaster. He quotes from Exodus chapter 34, 6. Jonah knows his Bible. He's quoting back to God truths that God has said about himself. God said, this is who I am in Exodus 34, chapter 6. It says, the Lord, the Lord, a gracious and merciful, um, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is who our God is. This is how God identifies himself. And Jonah says, I know you. That's why I ran. Because I didn't want your grace to come to the Ninevites. Now something's happened in Jonah's life. He's experienced God's grace in a really powerful way. When he was thrown into the ocean certain death. He's going to die, and yet God saves him through a fish. Our gracious God saves him in a miraculous way, and he experiences the grace of God. You see, that's one of the things that unifies us all. We all have rebelled against God and sinned. And for the Christian, for the person who says, I'm a sinner, and I trust in Christ for salvation, I trust in his work, we receive grace we don't deserve. That's why it's the self-righteous Christian. That's almost what we would call, we have a term called an oxymoron. What that means is the two phrases mean the opposite. Self-righteous and Christian are the opposite. But some Christians live that way. Self-righteous. Hey, I'm really good. I really obey God. I'm better than that person. I'm better than that person. I've done it. I've made it. That's not the posture of a Christian. Posture of a Christian is, I'm broken. I'm hopeless of myself. Yet our gracious, glorious, magnificent God has made a way for even me to be saved through His Son, Jesus. Jonah has tasted God's grace, yet won't give it to others. And see, that's where we're like Jonah. I think if you're honest with yourself, 
We've all tasted the grace of God and then been slow to extend it to others. And when we do that, that shows us our heart. That in our heart, there's still some self-righteousness brewing, cooking that's there. Now we need to know God is gracious and He's merciful. Jonah didn't like that. And in verse 3, look at what he says. Therefore now, Lord, oh please take my life. It's better to die than to live. Jonah would rather die than live in a world where his enemy Nineveh knows God, receives God's grace. He's that upset about these people coming to God. He'd rather die. He asked for death several times in this book. And look at what the Lord, the Lord is gracious. In this chapter, we get three questions God asked Jonah. Here's the first one. He asked this one twice. Do you do well to be angry, Jonah? One translation says, Jonah, are you angry that God has done good? Are you angry that God has been gracious? Are you angry that God has been merciful? Do you do well to be angry, Jonah? Is it right? Jonah doesn't answer. Instead, we see Jonah's actions. He goes out of the city and sets on the east. Now, Nineveh is in a desert. It's hot. And Jonah goes and sits on a hill, and we're told he builds a booth. Now, I'm curious, how does he build this booth? Because in that area, it's most likely everything is sand. So if you're trying to build a sand booth, how do you put sand over your head? It, it, you know, like he's, this isn't a good idea, but he's trying to build a booth because here's his hope. I hope the repentance wasn't real. I hope God looks up and goes, they deserve my judgment. I'm still going to judge the Ninevites and take them out. He wants to see the city destroyed, so he sits down to wait and see. Is repentance real or is it not? You know, when people say they repent, repenting of your sin means you turn from it and go to a merciful God. And when we truly repent, our life changes. There's actions that follow. The actions don't save us. The actions just show that, hey, this person has repented. Now, if you're like me, I'll repent. My actions will change. But I'll look up two days later and I've gone right back and have to repent again. So that's why we say repentance is a lifestyle. But Jonah here, he's hoping they didn't really repent. He's hoping it wasn't genuine. And he's going to watch. Look at God in verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed. Three times it says this word appointed. God uses a lot in this book. He appoints a fish to save Jonah. He appoints a storm to be hurled at the men in the ocean. And now he appoints a plant to provide shade for Jonah from the discomfort. Look at how gracious God is. Jonah is fuming mad. The Ninevites have repented. I'm angry, God. I'm going to go up here and pout and hope you still destroy them. And God says, Jonah, I'll give you shade. I'll still meet your comfort. 
And God provides shade for Jonah. And look at Jonah's response. Look at the very end of verse 6. Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He's glad. This is the only time in this book it says Jonah's happy. He's happy about a plant that provides for his own personal comfort. Now, we're talking about Jonah's anger. And in Scripture we see there's a righteous anger and an unrighteous anger. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 and 7 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So it doesn't say that all anger is a sin. But anger can certainly lead us to sin. So I'm going to show you, if you've got your notes, if you've got your bulletin, we're going to see three things unrighteous anger kills. That's what unrighteous anger does. It destroys. First, we saw it back in verse 5. And, and proceeding, unrighteous anger destroys, kills love for others. You can't really love others when you have unrighteous anger. Is there anybody that you don't, that you have anger toward like that? It destroys your love for other people, unrighteous anger, and that's what he has. He has an unrighteous anger, and it's going to destroy his, his love. A second thing we see, we're going to see in verse 7, it's going to destroy his delight. Look, Jonah is so happy. He's got shade. Look at what makes him happy. Earthly comforts. Now, I want to be quick and be like, hey, Jonah, you just love your earthly comforts more than you love the purposes of God. I still struggle with that. Just this week, common thing happens. My power went out. A lot of us experienced that. But our power went out in such a way that it was really broken. Like every other house around us had power, but our power box was broken and needed repairs. And I'm picking up the phone, calling. We're uncomfortable. Bring our comfort back. Come help us. And I quickly realized, I'll be more urgent and respond with more passion toward my own earthly comfort than I do to the person who doesn't know the Lord. I want my power back on. Somebody come do something. I know it normally comes back on, but it's completely broken. I need somebody to come fix it. And Jonah's exceedingly happy about his earthly comfort. And again, I think when we look at ourselves, often our own comforts, our own desires, our own wants come over the will of God. And Jonah's more excited about that. Now look in verse 7. But when dawn came the next day, he gets one day of comfort. God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Again, God appointed. God appointed an enormous fish to swallow Jonah and save him. Now God appoints a tiny worm to come 
and destroy Jonah's happiness. If your happiness, if your contentment in this life is based on the things of this life, no, it will be destroyed. Nothing in this earth survives. It does not stand. If your joy and your comfort and your ease and your contentment is based on these things, it will be destroyed and eaten up by the worms. But if our joy and our delight is based on the things of the Lord, we'll have a very different response. So the first thing I said, unrighteous anger kills love for others. Second thing, unrighteous anger kills delight. Like, all of us, we want to be happy in life, don't we? I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. What is wrong is how we pursue delight and joy in this life. It won't be found in the shade. The shade's only going to last a minute. The comforts of this world, they're fleeting. They don't last long. No true joy. True comfort is found in the one who brings eternal comfort, eternal security, eternal joy is found in the Lord. And when the sun rose, God appointed, again, God is doing this, a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the hand of Jonah so that he was faint and he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than live. Look at Jonah. One minute, I'm happy. I've got shade. Next minute, the shade is gone. The sun is beating on my head. Kill me. And we look at him and go, that's ridiculous. But aren't we like that at times? Hey, God, things are good. I'm happy. My family's doing well. We got food to eat. We got shelter. Things are good. We're happy. But then something comes along. A difficulty. I'm like, oh, God, what's going on? God, I thought you loved me. That's what Jonah's doing. He'd rather die. In verse 9, but God. That's a beautiful phrase. But God. Jonah, he's acting one way, but God is going to meet him where he is. And God says, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Jonah, is it right that you're angry with the plant? And look at Jonah's response. It's almost comical and humorous, yet it's also very sad and tragic. Look at what he says. Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Jonah, it's just a plant. That's brought in your shade. God's still on his throne. God's grace is still over you. You're still going to be okay. You know, New Testament Thessalonians says, give thanks in all circumstances. You know why it says that? We're quick to be thankless. We're quick to focus on, God, this isn't going the way I want it. This is hard. Thank you that the fact that you have redeemed all who will believe through your son Jesus, including me. Thank you, God, that you've kept me alive another day. Thank you, God, that you are gracious and kind. Thank you, God, for... We can thank Him for so many things, but when we start looking, going, God, you took away the comfort, we become quite miserable. And Jonah goes, I'm miserable enough to die. 
He's thankless. And that's the third thing in your notes where it says unrighteous anger kills. And here's what it kills. Ultimately, it kills your life. You want to destroy your life? Become an angry person. You become bitter. It's an unrighteous anger that eats up your own life. You're angry towards somebody? You're probably feeling the consequences of it more than they are. Nowhere to forgive. Even when people sometimes don't want forgiveness. Even when they don't want our grace. Even when they may not acknowledge it. We're to be gracious and kind. Here, in verse 10, it says, The Lord said, Jonah's done speaking. Last word we get from Jonah, I want to die. Verse 10, The Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came in a night and perished in a night. He's saying, Hey, Jonah, you did nothing to cause that plant to grow. That's all me. And Jonah, truth be told, the Ninevites repenting, sure, I used you to be the voice. Sure, I used you as my herald. But I'm the one who did that. God's the one who did it. God's the one who makes it grow. And he says, and should in verse 11, I not pity Nineveh, the great city. There's more than 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left hand. He's saying, these people don't know right and wrong. They don't know God. They don't know godly ways. Should I not have compassion on them? And this book ends in a rather peculiar way with a question that we get no answer to. You don't get the answer to this question. All you get is it saying, God asking Jonah a question. Hey, you're upset over your own comfort. Shouldn't you be more upset and rejoicing over the fact that I've saved Nineveh? And he leaves it there. Three things in your note about righteous anger that I want to point out. Because we mentioned there's unrighteous anger and then there's righteous anger. Three things we see throughout the Bible in righteous anger. Righteous anger is God-like anger. It's an anger toward the things that make God angry. You know mostly what makes us angry? Are things we experience. I was talking with a guy this morning. He said, you know, I was walking to church. Some people came and spit on me. Now, if you're new here, you get to learn a trick, okay? If, if you're new to Ethiopia, when people want to rob you, they'll come spit on you. Spit something up on you. And then they'll start to patch you. I'm going to dry you off and they'll take your stuff. Well, he knew that and got away. But he's like, I was mad. I, I, I was really mad. I, I wanted to hit him. He didn't. But hey, anger. You know what that anger is? It's an anger about yourself. You know? A righteous anger is an anger that God, when we see injustice toward others, most of our anger is about ourselves. Second thing, righteous anger, it's based on sin. Now here's where you can look at that situation and go, that person's sin is causing them to want to rob me and hurt me. I'm angry at sin on this earth. But when someone does that, I'm more angry for myself than I am at the fact that there's sin in this world, right? Somebody violated me and I'm angry. 
we can turn that and go, God, the sin in this world has caused people to be so broken and I just felt the sting of it. It hurt. I don't like it. And third thing, and this isn't a complete list. There's other things. Righteous anger is always under control. Now, if this friend had hauled out and punched those people, we might have said they lost control. Kept control and got out of the situation. Righteous anger keeps control. An unrighteous anger, we lose control. An unrighteous anger, you're angry and you can't control yourself. You're just yelling, you're screaming, you're stomping around. That's an unrighteous anger. And many of you, many of us, that's expressed in our lives often. I'm not one who stomps around and screams, but I also realize I can have an anger that's unrighteous because it's about me. Not about God's glory. Not about somebody else that's been hurt. Some injustice that's come to some other person. It's all about myself. And that's where Jonah is. And that's why when you read the book of Jonah, you don't want to be Jonah. But if you look at it, you begin to see more of yourself in Jonah. You're going to see that we're like him. As we mentioned, Jonah and Christ have some comparisons. Jonah was called to leave his comfort zone and go to the Ninevites. Jesus was called to leave the comforts and glory of God the Father and come here to earth for us. Jonah was called to go to a callous, hard-hearted people and preach the good news. Jesus was called to come to a callous, hard-hearted people and preach the good news. Jonah knew that preaching could mean death. Jesus came to preach and to die. Jonah's attitude was, my will be done. Jesus' attitude was, your will be done, God the Father. Let me ask you, what's your plant? You know that plant that grew up over Jonah? What is that in your life that you look and you go, oh, that's my comfort? That's my ease. That's what makes me happy. That's what I need to be all right. What is your plant? That you're looking going, on this earth, here's what I need. I think we've all got them. When we see it, we realize we're more like Jonah than we like to admit. But here's the great news. God was gracious to Jonah. He's gracious to you. If you're feeling the weight of any conviction in this, may that be from the Lord. And know this, God's grace is enough. And you can turn and trust Him. You can confess your sin. For the Christian, we confess our sin to be in right relationship and walk closely with Him. Turn and throw yourself on His grace and mercy. And if there's anyone here today, maybe you don't know the grace of God at all. Maybe you're like the Ninevites. You don't know your right hand from your left hand. You don't know what's going on. May God awaken your eyes to the fact that He has made a way for a sinner like you to be saved through the substitute of His perfect Son, Jesus, who was in the belly of the earth for three days and rose again. Let's pray.
God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this book, Jonah. Gosh, Lord, I look at it and I see myself. And I don't want to see myself. I don't want to be like Jonah, God. But when I'm honest, I see parts of myself like that. So God, I want to say thank you that your grace covers me. I want to say thank you that your grace covers each person here. May we receive your grace. May we trust your grace. May we know your grace. And Lord, may we be used for your purposes like a missionary, for your glory, for your fame, for your kingdom work. And may we give praise to you for the work that you do in and through your people. Use us as you see fit. Redeem and save. We pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.